For The Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Matt Barrows, Athletic 49ers beat reporter, about just how safe the new protocols for the 49ers will be once they get to training camp, how much of an impact the Raheem Mostert contract is going to have on the signing of George Kittle, and just how good do the Seattle Seahawks get with the addition of Jamal Adams. Today is Wednesday, July 29th. Welcome in now to the podcast, Matt Barrows. He covers the 49ers for The Athletic here, and uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Matt, you got your finger on the pulse. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Ready for uh, this season, ready for the training camp to start in earnest here. Are you confident about the start of training camp? I know we've had uh, some back and forth between the Players Association and the league as far as finances go for the safety stuff, and we've heard different players. Richard Sherman is one who's spoken out about the safety protocols, but where are we right now as far as reporting to camp goes, as far as the health and safety of the players and the 49ers specifically? How are we looking? Looking good. I mean, that can change at any point, as the Florida Marlins have illustrated so well this week, but put it this way, the 49ers had 39 players, these are rookies, quarterbacks, and and injured players, take their first COVID test on Thursday. All of those were negative. Around the league, there were a handful of positive tests. You're talking about, you know, say uh, 30 to, to 40 players per 32 teams. That was to be expected. I mean, the, the question is whether they can keep that going whether there are any positive tests once all these guys are together. I thought that uh, the initial tests were good. Obviously, the goal is to keep that going. And you mentioned Richard Sherman. I really think he's going to be a big voice this year, just uh, cautioning players, reminding players, younger players, that we all are depending on one another. You can't go out to a party. You can't go to a club. You can't do the things that you're used to doing because we all rely on it. Our finances, our health, our family's health relies on it. So I think that message needs to be said over and over again throughout the season. And luckily, I feel like the 49ers have a really good locker room. Even without Joe Staley and without DeForest Buckner, there are a lot of good, solid voices, Sherman among them, in that locker room to kind of continue that message throughout the year. Well, and that's something we heard about this locker room a lot last year, and it's not something you always hear about football, right? That guys love each other and are playing for each other. You end up with all these different position groups kind of working out their own schematics, and then these guys seem to really love each other, which is why I think maybe that does work, and you've got the kind of leadership you've talked about as far as keeping guys on the same page, keeping guys safe and healthy. But I want to hit on the Florida Marlins thing that you talked about, because by all accounts, everybody who is doing the bubble league or the bubble style of play right now, the NBA, the MLS, They're doing it with hockey now in the NHL. They've had great levels of success, it seems like, with keeping positive tests either outside of the bubble or quarantining guys who have tested positive once in the bubble. I've seen that uh, the MLS has done eight consecutive rounds of testing now without any positive tests. Baseball is the one now that has done the traveling, and football appears to be the next one. Have there been any deeper discussions, or do we think that anything that has happened with baseball would push the NFL into deeper discussions about a bubble style of play? for 2020? Not that I've seen. Uh, I I think that discussion is worth having. I think the fact that, you know, the Marlins are having this issue early on in that season is a caution to everybody, not just Major League Baseball, but all these leagues are are paying attention to it. And it's a a great cautionary tale. All it takes is one guy to slip up. And a lot of it is the randomness and, and chance for it to happen. But when it does, it can catch 
fire. That's what a pandemic does. That's what exponential growth is all about. So I do think that there are examples out there of non-bubble systems that have worked. The 49ers, for example, are minority owners in uh, Leeds United over in England, the soccer team. They play in the EFL. That league just uh, kind of wrapped up its season. It was not in a bubble. They did not have the testing that the NFL is going to have. I think they tested maybe two or three times a week. And they had very few positive cases this year. You know, in some weeks they had none league-wide. So testing, all the the science and, you know, the technology that the NFL is using, that's all fantastic. The bottom line, though, is just responsible behavior. That's what I think that they had in this this English soccer league throughout the season. And, and that's what uh, successful teams, successful leagues are going to have. It's just modifying your your behavior to know that, hey, it's not just me, it's everyone around me, and uh, it's everyone around my teammates, their families, the coaches, the trainers, etc. Not everybody is a, uh, a 23-year-old athlete in peak health right now. So I think it's that understanding that needs to get through, and people really need to kind of change their behaviors. That's the only way that uh, this league is going to make it through the 2020 season. And I sort of think with the 49ers, they've got more to lose, it seems like, maybe for this season than a lot of the other teams coming off of the Super Bowl loss. They have a lot of veterans, a lot of guys who are going to be pending free agents who could end up signing elsewhere or commanding a lot of money. And if you miss out on an opportunity to play for a Super Bowl this year or to to win a division this year or to compete with Seattle and Arizona and L.A. because you've had big players either test positive or not be responsible like you're talking about, this could be detrimental to a team who I think, you know, I don't want to say their window is closed, by any stretch, but I think that they're viewing this as still an opportunity to go out and win this year. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, at, at the very least, you say their window is wide open right now. They and the Saints seem like the class of the NFC, and you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look historically at, you know, oddball seasons in the NFL, seasons that were disrupted in one way or another, the Washington football team in, in the two strike years in the 80s, that team handle those strikes better than any other team. And lo and behold, they won the Super Bowl both of those years. During this recent lockout in 2011, the 49ers were very well organized player-wise during the locker room. Alex Smith led all the players, this and that. We've read about it quite a bit over the last decade. And they were a couple of muff punts from going to the Super Bowl that year. So whichever team really kind of handles their business, keeps their ducks in a row, this year is going to benefit. And the 49ers, are, like I said, are in a great spot, not just talent-wise, but that chemistry, that mix of youth and leadership. If it all works out, and, and, and it should, this is the 49ers' year. I mean, you, you have to think that they're, if not the favorite from the NFC, one of the favorites to go to the Super Bowl again. I mean, they did it last year despite a lot of rotten luck. I think people forget that. They were not a lucky team injury-wise, especially at the beginning of the season, and they persevered through that. So they've got that element to them already. And if they can keep that going this year, you know, that's going to be a big advantage uh, as far as returning to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and you talk about you know being sort of the cream of the crop in the NFC. There are a bunch of teams in their division that sort of seem like they could be either fringe teams or really, really dangerous teams. One of them, the Seattle Seahawks, right? The rivals uh, up in Seattle who last weekend made the trade for Jamal Adams. Now, you've had two teams. I know the Rams last year 
when got Jalen Ramsey, the Ramsey one always cracked me up because remember he said his back had hurt for like a month or, or three weeks before the trade. He'd like used all his sick days before he told his boss he was quitting and, and cruised out to Los Angeles. And then Jamal Adams ends up uh, with Seattle this weekend. Were the 49ers in on this? The asking price was awfully high. Two first rounders uh, and a third rounder. But the Niners have seemed to kick the tires on almost everybody who's become available, at least outwardly it appears that way, I think, to the fan base. Your thoughts on the trade to Seattle and, uh, and whether or not the 49ers were involved? No, I don't think the 49ers ever were involved. We know about their salary cap situation right now. It's tight, even without a, a George Kittle deal, and that, that's to be completed. They probably lost a little bit of space on Monday when they agreed to a new deal with Raheem Mostert. So they don't have the salary cap space. Their philosophy is also, when it comes to the defense, to really bolster that defensive line to spend some money at linebacker. They haven't really done that in the secondary. This is a a line backward sort of mentality that this team has, that if you take care of the defensive line, everything else will take care of itself. And that philosophy bore fruit last year, obviously. The line was really good. It was retailored with Nick Bosa, with D Ford, with hiring Chris Kucerich. Every other level of the defense really benefited from that. The Seahawks have a different philosophy. Pete Carroll loves defensive back. He loves safeties. That very much explains why they went after Jamal Adams. They use a back-forward approach there, and it worked brilliantly for them. Ten years ago with the the Legion of Boom, and um, that's obviously something that Pete Carroll, John Schneider are trying to recreate. It's interesting because I, I think that Jamal Adams is exactly the type of guy that the Seahawks want. He's a guy that can sort of create hype, create swagger, create energy. And it really meshes well with that stadium and and the noise, which is a big part of the Seattle formula. That noise this year is going to be muted. So I think the 49ers, in a way, catch a break in that they might be playing in a much more quiet CenturyLink stadium, despite the fact that on defense, uh, Seahawks fans probably are going to have a lot more to get loud about this year with Jamal Adams in the mix. I hadn't really thought about it, the back-forward way that you're talking about, sort of the reverse of what the 49ers do, where you're right. Like last year, they decided we'll take some pressure off of the defensive backs, maybe force some interceptions like they didn't have two years ago by getting to the quarterback, and they did just that. Whereas you're right, the secondary for the Seahawks always appears to be the pressure point for offenses or opposing offenses. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you saw that with the 49ers right off the bat last year in that game in, in Tampa Bay. Remember, they were coming off a year when they had just two interceptions all season. That philosophy started to pay off in week one last year. Before we let you go, uh, you mentioned the Raheem Mostert contract, and now this is really the first, I don't want to call it like a hiccup, or a, maybe it's just sort of a wrinkle in the in the John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan era, but he demanded a trade kind of out of nowhere after he tried to negotiate, I guess, a raise or a new contract, and then earlier this week, Brett Tesler, his agent, puts out on Twitter that they had finalized a new deal with the 49ers, and I guess rescinding that demand for a trade. What can you tell us about how this contract came to be, and, and what's Raheem Mostert's role looking at, I guess, for the coming season? Raheem Mostert and his agent realized they maybe were coming on a little bit too strong with the, with the trade demand. And there was a report, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, that they had begun to mend fences with the 49ers. There were some talks had, I think around July 1, the, the 49ers basically offered them the same deal that was accepted today. And, and it's a, an incentive-laden deal that if uh, Mostert hits certain incentives, I'm sure they're tied to um, yards per carry and, and total yards and whatnot, if he hits all of them, he can basically double 
his uh, 2020 salary, and that would put him a little bit past Tevin Coleman as far as his total salary in, in 2020. So that, that's what they were looking for all along. Raheem Mostert outperformed Tevin Coleman last year. Their rationale, and it's, uh, you know, it's a sound one, was that why aren't we being paid as much as this other guy? That's what they were after all along, and it looks like they at least have a chance of uh, accomplishing that this season. Now, George Kittle, no chance he's after that Tevin Coleman money, huh? <laughs> I think he wants Tevin <laughs> Coleman money times three. Yeah, okay. uh, and uh, I have not heard about any progress in that, although it could happen at any time. You know, one of the things that was holding that up is that sort of the roadmap for the league as far as the salary cap was unknown for months and months. And last week, that was all settled. So at least they know what they're dealing with could get back to the, the bargaining table at any point. Well, it's exciting, man. And the, the NFC West just continues to get better. I think we're looking at probably the best division in football coming into this year and uh, and should make for a whole lot of fun. We appreciate the time today, Matt. We'll talk to you down the road when we get closer to, uh, I was going to say preseason games, but none of those when we get closer to kicking off for the NFL season. Yeah, it's September 13 or bust this year. And uh, yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, it would be kind of nice if uh, if George Kittle just wanted the uh, the Tevin Coleman money. I don't think there'd be any issue with uh, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch getting that deal done. But the way the NFC West is stacking up, ever since the Rams went to the Super Bowl with uh, with Sean McVay, and really since the arrival of Sean McVay, it's been kind of an arms race in the NFC West and the emergence of Kyler Murray, uh, the defense that they've started to build out in Arizona, as well as the addition of DeAndre Hopkins and the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson are always a problem. Should be a heck of a season as long as it gets underway as Matt he said on September 13th. Thanks for listening. For full coverage of sports in the Bay Area, subscribe to the update on Google Podcasts. The Athletic is the world's fastest growing sports media publication. Get in-depth sports stories you won't find anywhere else. Start your 30-day free trial today by visiting theathletic.com/google. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is that you're getting us. We enjoy doing this, and we're having fun bringing you the best sports stories in the Bay Area, hoping to continue it as long as everybody can stay safe and healthy while on the field. Thanks again to Matt Barrows. Thank you to Brian Smith for the show today. We're going to talk more baseball on Friday, as Matt alluded to it a whole lot in today's show, the Miami Marlins and the hiccup that is Major League Baseball right now with the travel and the COVID testing. We could be in for a heck of a season if they can finish the season. So more baseball talk on Friday. We will talk to you guys then.